The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, it's Christina Bowling with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. We provide original, smart information and insights for Charlotte. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to our newsletters by going to wecharlotteledger.com. And if you like this podcast or our newsletters, we'd love it if you'd tell a friend. The more people who know about the Ledger, the more we can grow and the more high quality journalism we can provide for Charlotte. Today, we're talking to Curry Barr O'Connor. He's the executive director of Dress for Success Charlotte, which is a nonprofit organization that not only outfits women with the clothes they need to gain meaningful and life-changing employment, but also the skills and tools they need to forge and grow their careers. We talked to Curry as Dress for Success Charlotte was getting ready to kick off its annual Your Hour, Her Power campaign, which challenges donors in the month of March to give up one hour of their pay to help Dress for Success achieve its mission. I'm delighted to be one of Dress for Success Charlotte's 31 women of power who are helping raise funds for the campaign. So I sat down with Curry for a conversation about Dress for Success's mission, how they launched the successful Your Hour, Her Power campaign during COVID, and what types of needs they're seeing these days. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Curry, thank you so much for being with us today on our podcast. There's so much that I am eager to jump into with you about Dress for Success and your mission and, of course, this month's campaign. So I was wondering if we could go back a few steps and talk about what Dress for Success is and its mission and its impact here in Charlotte. Thank you so much, Christina. Anytime we can get in front of a smart group of people is a good day for Dress for Success Charlotte. And I know you have quite the impressive readership. We are an organization that provides a full spectrum of workforce development services to low to moderate income women. And what I mean by that is if you think from hire to retire, all of the services one needs during that employment journey. We work with women who have been disproportionately impacted, not just by COVID, which we've all heard about over the past few years, but by poverty. And if you do not have your own network of support, you need to find that outside of your immediate circles. So Dress for Success, while founded 26 years ago to help women have the right apparel to go into the interview, and with that comes confidence, it really has morphed to be a full spectrum of workforce development services with the belief that when you lift a woman out of poverty, as many as six family members may follow. I was really struck, you know, when I when I came to see you in your office, how how many services are offered there? You know, you hear dress for success and you think about women coming and maybe getting fitted for suits or, you know, attire for interviews and things like that. But I was really struck by how many different types of things from like resume building, right, to other services that help women, like you said, get that confidence. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of those those different ways that you impact these women and also how long your clients sort of stay with you for those? Absolutely. You know, the way that I would break it down is job preparedness, job acquisition, employment retention, and career advancement. Now, under each of those different areas are several programs. So job preparedness, that includes the suiting program. That is two complete interview appropriate outfits when you're out looking for a job. And when you secure employment, we invite you back for an instant working wardrobe of up to five more outfits. 
The reason we do that is one, we have the inventory, but two, if we can get that woman in for an hour and a half and make sure she has that instant working wardrobe, that is going to free her up to concentrate on other things that she needs to concentrate on, not only to successfully navigate into the workforce, but then to be able to maintain that. So for example, someone who is defined as chronically unemployed, they've been out of work for two to three years, they need childcare, or perhaps they are among the 10% who are parenting their grandchildren and next of kin. There's a lot of responsibilities that they need to attend to in order to be able to navigate into the workforce. Yeah. So, so getting to the job is great, but there's a lot of stuff that happens you know, from the minute you wake up until when you cross that threshold into your employer's um, workplace. So it really, we try to meet the woman where she is on her individual employment journey. It could be someone that opted out of the workforce to raise a family. It could be someone who went into one of the um, branches of service and then retired, but does not have a civilian resume, but has numerous skills that are transferable, but she needs a little bit of help from an HR professional to help her create that resume that's going to work for her as a civilian, as opposed to a branch of, of service. So those are a couple of quick ideas in terms of how long she is with us. It really depends on, on her, how long she wants to be with us, how long she needs to be with us. And in some cases, we saw women we served back in 2007, 2009 during the recession who were doing great for a de decade, but then the pandemic hits and they find themselves once again employed or underemployed and in need of our services. I know that I've heard too that many of the women who were clients come back later on to be like volunteers or to help in some way with the program. Absolutely. In fact, the campaign that we're talking about, Your Hour Her Power, that begins Wednesday as we launch Women's History Month, we do have a number of clients who have become ambassadors for the organization. They've navigated a number of our different programs and services, and they are on their way to climbing their not only corporate ladders, but civic ladders and community ladders as well. Wow. Well, so this is a great segue because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Your Hour for Power campaign. I am so honored to be part of that this year. My day, my special day will be March 6th when I'll be on billboards, but I'm excited about celebrating it all month long and hearing the different stories of the different women who are part of the campaign. But let's talk about that campaign and how it was born and, and what it is. Sure. We have always believed that one hour of your time can change direction of a woman's life. The example I gave about the woman who was in the guard for 29 years and retired, she has a number of skills that are transferable to other industries. But being in that industry for 29 years and in that role for 29 years, it's hard for her on her own to identify what those might be. And so we'll bring in an HR professional who is going to help her. But going back to the one hour of her time can change the direction of a woman's life. The same is said for the compensation. So the idea of your hour for power came actually out of a campaign that was done in Australia and New Zealand. They celebrate International Women's Day. The United States is the only country that celebrates Women's History Month. So what they did in New Zealand and Australia was they took that concept, a day of your pay, and asked people to donate that to Dress for Success. That's a lot of money for some people. We wanted to take this campaign and localize it in a way that we're going to, one, feature year one, 31 women 
who have demonstrated that they are committed to helping lift others as they climb their ladders. And two, we wanted people to be able to engage at whatever level they are in their career journey, whether they are working a lower wage job at a fast food restaurant, whether they are retired, but still bring great value, or they're at the peak of their career. There's a way for women to engage in this campaign. It's a peer-to-peer fundraising campaign. We're asking the participants to donate a minimum of one hour of their pay, which is not a number we share with anyone, and then to also take a minimum of 10 others that they believe, if invited, would also help lift these women out of poverty and onto a path of of self-sufficiency and ultimately achieve upward economic mobility. So that's the concept. It's your hour per power. And by tagging other people, you're not only raising awareness for the mission of Dress for Success, but you're building a pipeline, not only for these women who we're serving and who are building their networks and expanding their social capital, but it's really a pipeline for so many other things, our board, our community advisors, our volunteers, and the events that we have where women are learning from each other and networking with each other. Christina, you're going to be featured on Monday, March 6th. But you are in the class of 2023, which means that you've got 30 other women that are now part of a special network that you belong to. And the client who launches on the first and the client who closes on the 31st, they have that same access. So really what it comes down to is we need to give the women in our community, wherever they are in their employment journey, access and opportunity. So our campaign in Charlotte includes billboards. We are the only affiliate in the United States that is using that and leveraging that kind of medium, if you will, to help raise awareness and therefore the funds of Dress for Success. It's so cool because most of the women who participate in this campaign, I I would say probably 99.9% have never been on a billboard. These ads run for eight seconds apiece, so minimally 23,000 times you'll be featured. So that is what makes this particular one in Charlotte unique. And we're very proud of that because our first year goal was $31,000, and that was to replace some funds that were lost when the pandemic forced everyone to shut everything down as they knew it at the time. And so we had no choice but to take this concept that was kind of on the back burner we'd been talking about for a while and really just run with it. Wow. I, I remember that so well. I mean, the the panic that so many nonprofits had during that time because, you know, the galas and the things that a lot of times brought in so much of the operating budget were just like decimated, right? I mean, it, it really seems like it fell to those who could come up with kind of creative new ideas to try to make up for some of that. So do you remember, like, can you walk me through how that happened in terms of like you're saying, getting this off the back burner and saying, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna go with this, like what that was like? Sure. So it was March of 2020 when the governor shut things down in North Carolina, and that was, you know, the same across the country. And we knew that we were not going to be able to have in-person events. We saw some of our nonprofit colleagues very successful in, in launching virtual events. And, you know, that was kind of new and cool at the beginning. But after a while, you know, you can only attend so many galas, if you will. On, on a screen, we're looking at our, our computer screens all day long. So, you know, the first few months, it was exciting. We were very fortunate between our very dedicated team here and, and a number of volunteers who are very tech savvy. We were able to get our programs and services 
Well, they were 95% in-person to 100% virtual in just three weeks. But we also saw that there was no end in sight and we were going to have to plan for the next fiscal year. So we looked at some of the different things that we'd been putting in a folder like, oh, someday, someday. And this one just kept coming to the top. We had some good things in place in terms of relationship with Adams Outdoor and a couple of other folks that we were talking with about this kind of peer-to-peer fundraising campaign. So we put together a plan and we went to Adams Outdoor and we said, look, our our goal again is 31,000. For the first year, that's based on a canceled event at the beginning of the year that was small, but netted about that much. And then also there's 31 days in March. So let's set a goal of asking each person to commit to raise in a minimum of $1,000. Adams was just tremendous. They are very committed to women's empowerment and advancement. They said, we're going to take this on and we're, we're going to not only feature each of these 31 women on a day, we're going to do so much more. And they just rose to the occasion and created the most fabulous artwork. We knew some of the things that we wanted to put out as part of it, but they're marketing geniuses. We are nonprofit professionals. We know what our mission is. We know how to deliver the mission, but we rely on the community to come together and help us really pull it all off together in one neat package, if you will. You said that that first year, your goal was 31000 so That would be like $1,000 a day for Correct. Each of these campaigns. What, what did you bring in? Well, we were pleasantly and shockingly surprised at how well we did. We, we were hoping by about midway through the first year of the campaign, we would get the attention of some businesses who might want to get behind the, behind the campaign. We hit our 15,000 midway through and some folks said, you know, our company would like to get behind it. So we got creative and said, okay, well, how about you match any gifts that come in on a particular day? As long as there wasn't a conflict with who who was being featured that day. By the end of the month, we had raised $103,000. Wow. More than triple. Yeah. More than triple. But what's interesting is there was a one-time anonymous gift to $20,000. Now, if you take that out, you're still at 83, which you're right, is about triple of what our original goal was. So we knew we were onto something really special. So I know that this campaign begins and it ends with a client, right? A client ambassador. It does. And I have to tell you, Christina, that's probably one of my favorite parts of this campaign. We are shining the light on someone who might not otherwise have an opportunity to be able to say, hey, I am part of the professional landscape in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they are women who have utilized our different programs and services along the way, have secured employment, are part of our professional women's group program, but also have done things like completed financial education programs. And in one case, the woman who's launching on Wednesday is someone who, through financial education, was able to set up an emergency fund. And this was at the beginning of COVID. And when stimulus dollars were coming in, she took that money and set it aside where a lot of people were getting these checks and saying, gosh, you know what? I've always wanted a new couch. And for people who were working and getting those checks, it was it was bonus money. But what we were teaching the women to do as part of financial education is set that money aside, establish an emergency fund because you will need those funds at some point for something very important. I know that sometimes people like to know, maybe I make $50 an hour and I'm going to give that as my donation. Like what, what will that turn into? Is there any, are there any kind of things that you can 
sort of outline for us in terms of what what this money might actually what it would turn into in terms of services for women? Absolutely. So 100 percent of the funds that we raise come from individuals, corporations, foundations and special events. And we raise funds because we do not charge for services because that is a barrier to access. And we also rely on volunteers to help in all areas of the organization. We break them into two different groups. We have compassion-fueled volunteers. And what I mean by that is someone walks in and says, you put me where you need me, whether it's sorting clothes or shredding documents or doing follow-up calls, or I am a certified HR professional, or I am an accountant, or I am an attorney. And then we will match them up with our clients who could benefit from their expertise. For example, the HR professional, the resume, the cover letter, the LinkedIn profile, the identification of transferable skills, you know, the resources to go to to submit their resumes. In terms of the compassion tool volunteers, helping in every area of the organization, whether it's accepting clothing donations or setting up the operations center to make it easy for our style consultants to suit our clients, we rely on them in every area of the organization. And because of that support, in terms of dollars donated, for every $25 that's donated, we can sponsor a woman in the Career Center for an entire month. That means she has unlimited access to webinars, tutorials. She can come in and use the computer. She has access to the internet, the phone. We have a shredder. We have whatever she needs as part of her job search. And for every $5 we, we raise, we can sponsor a woman for an entire year. Again, it's because of the volunteer model, the referral agencies that refer the clients to us for our services. We are able to give her those up to seven outfits, plus all of those workforce development resources that I mentioned. She may come to us once, or she may come to us 30 times in a year, depending on what her need is. How many women do you help each year? We get referrals of over 500 unduplicated women, but really the story is the number of times the woman comes to us. Because our data will tell us that the more she plugs in, the more successful she will be in terms of securing, retaining, and advancing her career. Now, there is always going to be a percentage of the population we serve that are transient. They may be couch surfing. They might be in emergency housing. They may have a phone that has a limited number of minutes, and they have to use those extremely you know, carefully. So we may not see them again. And if they come through for a service and don't report back and are not in touch with the referral agency partner, we don't know what their outcome is. For those who come to us for more than one, we're able to, track is not the word I like to use, but we are able to do more in terms of outcome measures. I'm curious about what you're seeing in terms of like the needs that women are presenting with. Have they changed much since COVID? You know, there's been a lot of shifts in um, the women that are coming to us for services. One of the things that we did really see as a result of the pandemic is when women were forced out of the workplace. And a lot of them had jobs that they couldn't take home with them. You know, think of the mother who was driving a school bus and her children went to the school she was driving for. But school shut down and everyone went to homeschooling. That's not a job she can take home with her. So there's a loss of income. We had a number of daycare centers that closed that have not reopened or have not opened to the same capacity. And as a result of that, women have not been able to go back into the workforce. So we have a lot of women who recognize, wait a minute, 
I am making a lower wage. And once I pay for all of these things that help me to be in the workplace, the transportation, the childcare, dry cleaning, any cost associated with being in the workforce. And at the end of the month, they realize I'm only $10 ahead. Is it worth it? So you have a lot of people who have been working from home or at home and realizing that I'm killing myself to maybe be $10 ahead. We also have women who are doing well in their jobs, but they hit, hit what's called the benefit cliff. So they may be getting some subsidies for childcare or for food stamps or, or something else given their income level. And if they are doing a great job and they have an offer of even a dollar an hour or more in terms of pay, they sometimes have to say, no, I can't afford to take that because if I do, I hit that benefit cliff and I can't afford to work anymore. We have a lot of issues, you know, in terms of systems that need to be completely overhauled and we need to be more sensitive to the needs of working moms, working dads too, but has your volunteer force changed much? Have you found more women are stepping up to volunteer and help be a part of the programs or is that a struggle? You know, it's interesting. It's a good question because we had prior to the pandemic, 1,200 volunteers that helped to support the organization over a year's time. Now, 25% of those volunteers are what we call regular volunteers. They come in more than once. The other 75 may have come in as part of a corporate done-in-a-day type of project. You know, we might have a company that calls us up and says, you know, we want to do a team building experience. There's 20 of us. We want to come in for three hours. We work with them to do that, and that helps to maintain our operation center. In terms of the individual volunteers, what happens over a two-year period as things are shut down is interest change, or they might not have the capacity to come in and volunteer the way they once did. So we do have to rebuild the pipeline. And it takes time because you want to make sure that as you're providing an orientation and an onboarding to a volunteer, that the volunteer that's going to be able to show up when you need them. And you're going to schedule your activities based on those commitments. So it has impacted us. And there's also a number of companies that will give a nonprofit organization cash grants for volunteer engagement. So it wasn't just special events that went by the wayside, either completely canceled or suspended. It was also partnerships that we had, third party or vendor relationships that brought revenue in as well. And volunteer engagement was one of them. That sounds, that sounds really difficult because like you're saying, the needs grew so much in terms of what women are facing. It sounds like a challenging time. Well, the other thing that was hard for us too is one of the first things to go when the pandemic hit was our suiting program because that was 100% client-facing. And so that's what the organization was best known for, but that was the first program that had to go. So a few months later, once we got our other virtual programming up and running, we then shifted to offer what was called the white glove valet. And what that means is you're going to have an interview. And in most cases, those were virtual interviews. So we're dressing people now from the waist up. But that's where the majority of the interviews were happening, whether it was Microsoft Teams or Zoom or FaceTime or however it may be fun. So the focus was more on getting those items in a bag based on the size of the client and then putting items in that are a size smaller and a size larger. Because when she gets home, we want her to have something that fits. 
And at that point, we call it white glove valet because valet is a word that goes back to the 1500s that talks about that personal, personal styling. And so what we would do is the client would pick up or the case manager would pick up. And in that bag, in addition to the clothing, we had color copies of what those finished outfits would look like. So then the next day, we would have our style consultant have a one-on-one -on, -one on the phone or however they decided to connect and go over what was in the bag and why those items were put together the way that they were. And at that point, there's also the opportunity, now what do you need beyond the suit? What's the best way for people to help the organization? Is it through donations? Is it volunteerism? Is it a mixture of the two? And how can people get connected and figure out how to help? We want people to engage in a way that makes sense for them and based on what the current needs of the organization are. Obviously, the easy way to get involved is by participating in the Your Hour Her Power campaign and looking at those billboards each and every day. And when they know someone, consider making a donation in their name, or they can do it in, in the name of someone else in their life who has inspired them, especially another woman during Women's History Month. In terms of getting involved with the organization, go on the website and sign up for the newsletter. That will bring on a monthly basis different opportunities to engage. Great. Curry, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm just in awe of everything that you all do. And I'm so honored to be part of this, this year's Your Hour, Her Power campaign. I hope it's hugely successful and it raises the, moves the needle even further than it's done in the past few years. So thank you so much for just talking about your mission and, and how this is going to go towards that. Well, thank you, Christina, and thank you for being among the class of 2023. I will tell you that between some early commitments that we've received and the media sponsorships, including the, the Charlotte Ledger, we, we are starting this campaign off with a bang, and we are starting at about where we ended in year one. So we're going into it with $100,000 in, in commitments, and we just know that this really is the way we need to engage the community in order to continue to deliver our programs and services without disruptions so that when things like a recession and a pandemic happen, we have some control. Wow. Thank you so much again for being with us. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you for listening. The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. Queen City Podcast Network.com. Oh.